Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation in this week's episode. Unions 21 director Becky Wright on what unions will look like after Covid has gone. Hello, hello. Welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a long, hard and entertaining look at what unions will probably look like once COVID has been and gone. What lessons will we have learnt? What changes will have been made? Will our glass be half full? or half empty? I'll be joined by Becky Wright, Executive Director of Unions 21. But first, a bit of a riddle. What returns over £12 for every £1 invested? Now, that would be Union Learn, I hear you all cry, and indeed you are right. The TUC's learning and skills organisation delivering highly regarded training and education to a quarter of a million trade unionists each year. Just what's needed to deliver the skilled workforce to build back better after Covid, absolutely in line with the skills guarantee announced recently by the Prime Minister. But apparently not good enough. Skills Minister Gillian Keegan has told the TUC that 11 million quid's worth of grant funding will not be renewed next March. The TUC's Kevin Rowan has said that this has come completely out of the blue and, in his view, completely unjustifiable. He said, Our delivery has continued to be exemplary and we have continued to receive very positive feedback from officials in the Department for Education, among others. There is clearly a huge skills challenge ahead and Union Learn and our trade unions remain extremely well placed to respond to that challenge. University and Colleges Union Chief Joe Grady urged the government to think again. She said, The fund's work improves employee and employer relationship and identifies training for people unlikely to find it through more traditional routes. Unions have a vital role to play in developing workforce training and we hope ministers and officials will recognise that as they assess the fund's many benefits. But the Times Educational Supplement quoted a government spokesperson as confirming that the decision has already been made. So much for a partnership approach. Now, Becky Wright, Executive Director of Unions 21 since 2016. This was a bit of a rollback for me, as between us, Becky and I hosted many episodes of the Unions 21 podcast. We talk about how the organisation has managed during the pandemic and some exciting new research work that we can all get involved with. Becky, you are so welcome on the show. Thank you very much for taking time to join us. It's like old time. It is, isn't it? It it is. And and listeners, I don't know if you're having the same problems, the same challenges me and Becky are having, but uh, bandwidth, it's like the new gold or the new oil, isn't it? You know, you've got to hang on to your bandwidth where you can find it. If you if you want any, I've got some bandwidth I can sell you. Whoa, this sounds like a dodgy transaction. But seriously, Unions 21, I mean, listeners, I do hope there's none of you out there who don't know what Unions 21 is. But Unions 21 is uh, is is the campaign-oriented, the action-oriented kind of think tank 
a safe space for trade unionists to work on common problems and, and look at leadership strategies and organisational strategies. Is that kind of, have I, have I got it right, Becky? Yeah, we're like a think and do tank, heavy on the do. Yeah. That's actually a great way of putting it. That is a really great, concise way of putting it. And one of the things that, of course, Unions 21 has had to do, as have a lot of organisations, is to move massively online during this, this kind of pandemic. So, so what's been your experience of that, Becky? I mean, it seems to have gone well. It, there seems to have been a lot of content uh, and, and a good audience for, for it. But is it like, you know, like the, the duck swimming peacefully on the surface and the legs going like mad underneath or i mean who isn't a duck really (laughs) trying to look calm all the way but underneath trying to stop their children from running in and taking over the show or maybe that's just me i mean i think i mean this has been a trying time for everyone right so i I don't want to downplay it and i think there's lots of we can talk about there's been lots of advantages and lots of disadvantages to some of the new ways of working and I think what helped us is that we work from home a considerable amount of time anyway so we already had everything set up before the pandemic hit so we use slack and we video conference a lot with each other we even if the office is open you know I might have school pickup or whatever and then and then I'll work from home so I think that we definitely started with a bit of a you know on the front foot as it as it were before the pandemic hit off I also started to worry about it about a month before it actually happened so got everybody to plan ahead so got our trustees thinking about what that would mean got got me and the team thinking about what that would mean for our kind of work and the thing that I would say and I've had discussions with lots of different unions that we work with around some of this is that our strategy stayed the same our strategy has not changed from it's from the 2019 plan that we put on the thing that changed broadly was actually how we were going to deliver on that strategy mm-hmm. so so as I've sort of anybody that's been taught by me or done anything with me, like the strategy remains the same because that is the goal. That is what you're working towards. But feel happy to change the tactics, feel happy to change the operational output. And I think a really great example of that was we'd planned to do a load of, of uh, masterclasses this year. We'd planned to do some research work. We'd planned to do some work with, uh, aspiring union leaders, possibly a trip over to Sweden or to um, the Netherlands. And that went. And in its place, we started doing webinars, which kind of started off doing the same function as the masterclasses, but sort of evolved into, at the height of the pandemic, a weekly look into what unions are doing and how they're adapting and what was working and, and how it could happen for other unions. And, and that went well. I was, I was really pleased by that. We continue to produce our kind of regular social media content. We continued with our blogs. The thing that sort of happened that got put on ice a little bit was our research work, but we're mm-hmm. back up and running with that now. So that that's quite good. And it's been... I was going to say a pleasure and I, and I don't mean that in a I'm so happy the pandemic happened but but more that it's just been almost like an honour 
to see how unions have adapted and the changes that they've had to make and how quickly they've been able to do that. And I know that everybody's been working so hard. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think I've heard any officers say that it just hasn't increased workload. It just hasn't increased, you know, the, the demand from members and reps and officers. I mean, they've the, the, just the, gone the, above and beyond. You know, the people, the people I'm speaking to, they are all without exception without exception, absolutely knackered, but <laughs> but energised at the same time. Uh, and I think that's partly because unions have stepped up to the plate really well, I think, in terms of, in terms of recognising that now, particularly, they need to look after their members, they need to be on the front foot in terms of policy to make sure that they're safe systems of work and income protection and so on, and they need to contribute to the formation of public policy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's... You had to take a step back, didn't you? Last week, when the the winter employment program, the successor to the the job, uh, the the CJRS and the self employed version of the scheme was announced, there on the steps of Eleven Downing Street, next to the Chancellor, was the General Secretary of the TUC. Now, the scheme's not great, of course, the scheme's not great, but it's a damn sight better than nothing, and it's really important that the TUC are at the table. Yeah, I mean, it's a very tripartite approach, which I think a lot of unions would welcome. The thing I would say is that. We have to be really clear about the role that we've played in all of this. And I've not yet seen a kind of um, anything compelling that's drawing people to join unions on the back of the, this kind of work. We did a poll and it, uh, of workers around how they felt about the pandemic and the role of unions on that. And, I, and actually, it really shocked me that most people were like, don't think that really unions played a massive role in gosh yeah and if that's you a wake-up call well and if you think about you know the furlough scheme whether you like it or you love uh, or you love uh, loathe it that was that was from the union movement yeah <laughs> right yeah. so for all those people who are on furlough going oh i don't really think unions made much of an impact it's like oh well actually we we did because you're on furlough and that's yeah good for you i mean you might end up being made redundant but i mean right here right now you're in employment still oh and also when we asked people if they felt like they should just join unions it was like 60 66 percent said they had no desire to join gosh that's i mean that's interesting because a lot of unions are reporting increases in membership and we see we see a kind of a growing appetite for unionization in some sectors. I think about the creator union, for example, for, for yeah. creators and influencers in the digital space. You yeah. see other unions coming into being as well. I suppose it's as ever, it's a kind of cure at sec, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that it's it that it's not those rises aren't across the board. No. I think what you're seeing is those rises are in industries where unions have been able to I'm sorry to use this term, listeners, but they've pivoted. What's, the, what's another word I can use for pivot? They've changed. They've they've basically realised we can't go into workplaces. So what else can we do to make sure that we still reach our members? And how else can we reach our potential members? They're also, I think, in sectors that unions are kind of quite strong in anyway. So the creators' union is probably a would have happened. I don't think it's the pandemic that was just brought that about, but. But I think that I think where unions have been traditionally quite strong, you have seen growth. You know, so all the 
education unions have seen growth, health, public services, uh, they've all seen growth at levels which are higher than what they would have seen before. But I think in the private sector, while there has been some growth in some areas, it's not been across the board. No, I think, well, that that's self-evidently true, I think. Uh, I think it is. So in terms of future work, because, I mean, I, I, I participate in some of the webinars, really high quality, very a great feeling of, um, I want to say solidarity, but that's not quite the right word. It, there, was, there was more, there was more, it was a very supportive environment. Everyone felt that they were yeah. engaged in a kind of common, common endeavour. Community. Um, com- yeah, a community, a community, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there is work now approaching us off the horizon with Sperry, the Sheffield Political Economic Research Institute, about what's worked for unions during the pandemic and where the best practice is. What's, yes. What are the timescales and what are the, the, the sort of threads in, in that project? Yeah, so I think the webinar series definitely created a little group, a little community of people that reflected what we tried to do at Unions 21, which is there being an open forum, a safe space for people to talk through some of their their issues and trying to get people who are really thinking quite hard about this. So I I don't prescribe and we don't certainly prescribe to the idea of telling unions that they're rubbish at doing what they're doing because it's a hard job and anybody who has been in a union and tried to organise workers will know it's hard. Yeah, well, you and, know, we, we're not we're not good on on accepting that failure is part of uh, an innovative approach, and you know, there's lots of best practice to share and disseminate. So that it, yeah, you know, we don't get it right all the time, and I think that's definitely something that within the the webinars we've been able to kind of show and discuss, and it led to quite a lot of conversations. Thinking, well, actually, like, oh. It's a necessity, the mother of invention. Like, where have we seen unions really kind of run with the circumstances that they're at and changed and maybe gone into new areas or new types of agreements or they've had to think about how they do their AGMs and their conferences and things like that. You know, how has union democracy changed with all of this? And... The Alex Ferry Foundation very kindly gave us some money to undertake some research with Tom Hunt and uh, the University of Sheffield Sperry Department to actually look at this. So what we're trying to do from now until December is the, the sort of the hard, well, we, I say we, it's definitely not, <laughs> it's mainly Tom with a bit of me. We're looking at kind of four key areas to think about where unions have innovated and what that means and what that means for the future of unions. So we've got representation. So how have unions adapted in this time? Disciplinaries, grievances, negotiations with employers. Has it changed what we've put on the bargaining table? And already I'm hearing some really interesting stuff coming out of Ireland coming out of Italy, coming out of Australia and the UK. So we're not just looking at, I mean, we're mainly UK based, obviously, but we're we're looking at some other kind of innovations as we've seen it. Shout out to Financial Services Union Ireland for their right to disconnect stuff they've done. Uh, Mm -hmm, Head mm -hmm. over to our website and you'll see that that particular webinar. Um, So how has representation changed? You know, what agreements have we got with employers around doing uh, representation work? membership and member engagement so how has that changed union membership has it has it gone up 
Has it gone down? What was the kind of pattern of union membership? Did members join mainly online more so than ever before? What were the what were the things that drove people to union membership mm. during that time? You know, a couple of unions said to me that they'd done webinars and they'd done some other things that and then they had explicitly said to people, right, you're not a member, join. And yeah, like you would do if you were at a meeting, right? You know, like if you were in a physical meeting, you, you might say, right, well, it's open to everybody. And then you'd shut off half of that meeting, wouldn't you? And go, right, only members for the rest of it. Yeah. If you want to come in, you've got to join. And they, they did that, but the electronic version of it. What did it mean in terms of the communications that people did for, to, for members? A couple of unions were saying that they their email traffic increased and their open rates increased and so they had to go from doing like weekly emails to daily emails to and segmented membership and that kind of stuff okay so if representation and communication are the first two issues what's third democracy and support for activism so how did that change what did we do in the that we would continue to do so what was our experience of online courses for reps did we do more support mentoring and coaching for reps mm-hmm. um, how, what did that mm-hmm. look like but also again what did our conferences look like and how did we get around that some people might have just completely cancelled them <laughs> for the year some people have tried to do it online and what's the experience of that and lastly advocacy so where have unions been successful in advocating with policy makers and what did that look like and how did that that feel so we're we're starting now we're going to be having a survey out uh, we're looking for case studies as well if anybody wants to contribute to that from wherever they are shout out as well to our colleagues over in australia and the actu who are also helping with quite a lot of this stuff as well oh, that, i mean that's fascinating so, so specifically where can people make their their contributions if they've, they've got stuff and bear, bear in mind the union juice podcast has got has got an international audience so yeah. uh, well as, a, as it should do as it should do so if you are in if, if you're in the uk or even if you're not drop me a line becky at unions 21.org.uk if you've got a case study that you think would be useful for other unions drop us a line let us know about it if you'd like to take part in the survey, then go onto our website, unions21.org.uk, sign up to our newsletter because more details will be announced through that. Excellent. I mean, that, that those four strands, each one of them on its own is, is going to be fascinating. I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how, how that develops. So if one rolls forward 18 months, if one can even see that far ahead, which is difficult uh, at the moment, what, what, what's the kind of direction of travel for Unions 21? I think um, it's broadly to do what we're doing already, which is creating a, a space for our unions to come together to look at the shared challenges that they face, to look at projects that might overcome some of that. I think specifically we're discussing the kind of impact in three key areas, sort of stemming from the pandemic, which is around like the worker voice in the future of work and in AI and technology. So already today you're seeing some stuff around um, surveillance tech and all that kind of stuff. But mm, yeah. where's the work of voice in that? There's a load of stuff about the future of work, but there's not an awful lot about where is work of voice in the future of work and where are workers in the future of work. Things around 
industrial strategy, which apparently has been ripped up again, but also skills development and making sure that we have and sort of equality and diversity. And that kind of goes in two ways, really. The first one is around making sure that we equip the workers for tomorrow and the key role that unions can play within that. But also it's about breaking down the barriers to engagement in our unions as well and making sure that we reflect the workforce as a whole and workers as a whole. And lastly, we're thinking of doing some work around self-employed workers and what that looks like, what the future looks like for them and the future looks like for unions that cover freelancers. And as listeners will know, just two weeks ago, the Union Dues podcast had a special on the self-employed, which ties very much in into that. Uh, and I think it's, it's not too late to register for the Union's 21 seminar on organising the self-employed, is it? Which I think is in on the 15th of October. On the 15th of October, we're talking to Paul Fleming and uh, Philippa Childs about can unions organise the self-employed? Hmm. Okay, and presumably you go to unions31.org.uk to register for that. Mm. Yeah, interesting. yeah, and then you can watch it. Mm. Interesting. I'm going to be unfair now and try and put you on the spot and say, if you had to look back over the, like, the last kind of six months' worth of blogs, mm. either written by you or written by someone else that's been on the Unions 21 website, is there is there any that you would pull out and say, that's really, that that really is influential or, 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 or important? And I'll, I'll give you a bit of thinking time by nominating two of my own. Go on, uh, one of which is Kurt Vandala about organising newcomers yeah. and about how new entrants to unions are are more productive in organising sense than perhaps existing existing members and putting a whole model around that. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was 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 one by your good self on strategic corporate research as a as a way of working out how to allocate scarce resources. It's a sort of mapping of employers, listeners, mapping of employers so that you know which areas are going to give you the best return for your organizing investment. And you can find both those papers on the Unions Twenty One website and I commend them both to you. But having given you thinking time, Bickett, Becky, what would be your <laughs> your nominee? Like I got to pick one. Okay, so if you've you've said Kurtz, I won't use Kurtz. Very kind of you to say mine. Um, I I find it really difficult to pick between one of two things, and they're kind of linked in, which is that our colleague Vic Barlow did a, a blog right at the beginning on the twenty fifth of March which was member engagement doesn't work in isolation, where she sort of talked about how unions need to have a clear strategy and how member engagement isn't just done by one department, but it's done across departments. And the other one I was thinking of was was one about digital sort of strategy. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think a lot of people think the digital strategy is something separate from everything else. And it's not, it's just a component of our kind of general plan and our general strategy. And what I've seen is that unions that really have a very well-oiled machine in terms of the relationships between industrial side and the comms side has has found it relatively easier to deal with the stuff that we've got going on at the moment. I think when you don't have a, a comms team that listens to your industrial team and your industrial team listening to your comms team, you're always going to end up in difficulties. And so I, I, I think that was a really good starting point for people to um, to read and to think about. Thank you. Well, they, they, there you go, listeners. If, you're, if you're, your whistle's been wetted by those four <laughs> papers that Becky and I have just kind of pulled out, pulled out of the air, uh, 
yeah, I, it's it's a really kind of worthwhile use of time to to browse the blogs that are on Union Street One site because it's talking about real practical stuff, and you you kind of don't you don't find it anywhere else. It's so anyway, I don't like to end any interview or any discussion without asking my guests for their trade union story. How did you get into unions? What was the appeal? What was was there an individual or an event that happened that that shaped your your union journey? I started the world of work as a Saturday, uh, you know, while I did my GCSEs and A-levels. And I remember very clearly being in Woolworths on Pier Avenue in Clacton-on-Sea. As long as it's gone, it's now Poundland. And being sort of told on my induction session, well, we, we offer two types of contracts. We offer a eight-hour contract or we offer a no hours contract and it's up to you which one you think you can commit to and I as a 17 year old was like well I'll always get work on a Saturday and I can't really commit to anything more than a Saturday so that's less time than my hour contract I'm gonna have to go for this no hours contract and I remember really clearly listening to two of the older female workers who were stacking the shelves one evening because you could do like seven till 11, 12 till four, five till seven or whatever, five till whatever it was. And and we were doing the sort of the five to nine shift. That was what it was. And, and they were sort of talking and they were sort of saying, you know, every week they never went below 30 hours ever. But the, the most, the, the, that the company gave them were eight hours. And I remember looking at them and thinking, oh, that sucks. How do they plan their lives? How do they plan their childcare? How do they like do anything? Because all they're really guaranteed is eight hours. Yeah, actually in reality, they're doing between 30 and 40 hours a week. And I had the joys of a very progressive history teacher who uh, my GCSE history was the uh, fall of the Liberal Party, the rise of the Labour Party, suffrage and colonialism. So, you know, we had definitely, well, we hadn't fully decolonialised the uh, curriculum, but we went through it. And we did a thing about unions. And I remember thinking, God, I wonder if they still exist. Because I don't come from a political family. I don't come from, like, I come from a really working class area of, of Essex, right? But nobody joins unions because everybody's like a builder or a plumber. And, and so nobody I knew was a union member. So it was then that I thought, oh, I should find out a bit more about this. And then I went off to university and I just was thinking about how the majority of our lives are spent at work. And therefore, that's what we should get right. And so therefore I joined, joined the, I like, I looked and joined the union. But I think the interesting thing is that the union movement never found me. I had to find it. Sorry, that, sorry, listeners, that is a long story. But no, that no, is, no, no, no. That is how, that is how we, we got to it. And I, I, I never looked back, really. <laughs> Becky, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Very best Thank of luck going forward. Thank you very much for having me, Simon, and thank you to the Union Jews uh, listeners for listening to me. I hope you enjoyed that. 
If you want to follow up any of the references that I discussed with Becky, any of the organisations or the particular papers, head over to makesyouthink.com where you'll find the companion blog post to this podcast that contains all the information that you'll need. That's just about it for this episode. Time for two or three shout outs before we go, though. First up, a new collection of songs has been put together by our friends from the General Federation of Trade Unions, the GFTU, and Folktree Recordings as a celebration of working life on what was once called the hardest working river in the world. They felt that while the deeds of the rich and powerful are often celebrated on the so-called Royal River, the stories of the lives of millions of workers that toiled, played and died around the River Thames are too often being lost with each turning of the tide. The river's position as a major maritime route has put it at the centre of many events of national significance, leading the early trade unionist and GFTU founder John Burns to describe it as liquid history. As a result, the Thames runs deep in the national psyche and forms a fundamental part of our identity. The CD has 21 songs and an extensive and illustrated information booklet, all for just twelve ninety nine. The added bonus of buying this CD is that the proceeds will go to the GFTU Educational Trust to support its provision of free trade union education. Head over to gftu.org.uk for more information and to place your order. And a timely reminder from the Labour Research Department that its compendium on redundancy law is still available. Sadly, this is going to be in much demand over coming weeks and months, but it's very much hands-on and practical, and you can get it from lrd.org.uk. You can also catch the LRD's Neris Owen answering questions on this from reps on a TUC webinar. Tap TUC Webinar Redundancy into your search engine and you'll find it. And the Labour Radio Podcast Network continues to grow. You can now access 70-plus union-related podcasts through their portal at labourradionetwork.org. Thank you very much for your company during this podcast. I hope you like what you've heard. I hope it's made you think. Join the conversation, please. Pitch your ideas. Let us know of items you'd like to see covered on a future episode. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Tweet us at Jews Union, and, and please rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really does make a difference. As I've said, the companion blog with links, signposts and background information is on the makesyouthink.com website. In the next episode of Union Jews, I'll be chatting with Christina Colclough, one of the world's leading experts on artificial intelligence, digital technology and the importance of worker voice and worker input into what the jobs of the future are going to look like. All that's left for me to do is to say thanks for listening. Whatever you're doing, stay safe, and I'll see you around. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.